0: This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. From the Headstuff Podcast Network, welcome to The World According to Wikipedia, the podcast that explores the weird, wonderful, and baffling world of Wikipedia, the people who write it, and what makes them tick. With me, Fanula. And me, Rebecca. In this episode, we talk to Jake Orlowitz, founder of the Wikipedia Library and Wiki Blueprint. It does sound impressive. and for for good reason, He is a very active Wikipedia editor with many years under his belt. He set up a programme to get more high quality sources to other editors and has been a strong advocate for more non-profits and charities to engage with Wikimedia projects. Yeah, very interesting. I'm looking forward to hearing more. By the way, uh, have you recovered from Sunday yet? Just about. 23 odd kilometres of a walk is no joke, but it was for a fantastic cause. How are you feeling? Uh, my legs are actually now working. It's Wednesday, so for those that don't know, there is an annual head-to-head walk in Dublin from one side of Dublin Bay to the other, so from Both Head to Bray Head. The total length is something around thirty-nine kilometers. It's give or take, depending on what app you're looking at, but it's a roughly around thirty-nine kilometers. Uh, which I foolishly did. It seemed like a great idea at the time. Um, in fairness, it, I was doing well until Dunleary, and because I was doing well at Dunleary, I thought I can make it to Bray. And about 10 minutes after, I was doing well in Dunleary. And about an hour before we made it to Bray, I was doing less well. Uh, but, but, but I made it. I made it. Uh, and, that's, and I got two medals because I took the halfway medal and then I took the one at the end as well because I deserved it. I deserved two medals for that. Good for you. Yes. But it is the charity is in aid of uh, Cystic Fibrosis Ireland. So it is a good cause and one that's close, particularly to our hearts very much so very much so and tough but a a very worthy cause but you know just in case you needed proof that we don't spend all of our time welded to a computer yes we have a life so would you like to know more about the world of podcasting and specifically about headstuff and its studios and you are based in dublin This Culture Night, the 23rd of September, I believe if I am not wrong, which is a Friday, the Headstuff podcast studios will be open for visits as part of that big cultural institutions throwing their doors open of an evening in September. More details are here. The podcast studios are opening their doors to everyone this Culture Night. Come see the place where your favourite Headstuff podcast network shows are made. Get behind-the-scenes access, learn about production, and record your very own five-minute podcast. This is an opportunity not to be missed. Join us Friday the 23rd of September. Register on eventbrite.ie or see the Culture Night website for more details. We look forward to seeing you there. So what is uh, this episode's rule? This episode, we are going to talk about avoiding instruction creep. Instruction creep? Question mark. I like this policy. It is basically the way Wikipedians say, or it's one of the ways that Wikipedians say, too long, didn't read. Rebecca, you need to explain further because that did not explain anything. (laughs) Don't have a clue what you mean. Probably because you've gone a little bit meta as this is a policy about how to write policies and guidelines. The Wikipedia's version of Too Long Didn't Read, T-L-D-R, is in a nutshell, in quotation marks. So you'll often see with policies and guidelines a little box floating up the top that says, this page in a nutshell, and it gives you the one-line exp- explainer for the big long policy or manual style or whatever it is that you're looking at. And this poly- policy is summated by, open quotes, when editing guidance, Keep in mind the risk of increasingly detailed instructions resulting in bloated pages that new editors find intimidating and experienced editors ignore. Close quotes. So basically, the longer you make something, the less likely it is people will read it, let alone follow it. Yeah. As one of my former college lecturers once said, use fewer words. Exactly. Exactly. And there are certain, you know, there are certainly enough policies, guidelines and manuals of style to wear out even the most diligent of editors. So brevity and that in a nutshell is always welcome. Yeah, I'm a divil for not reading anything beyond like two paragraphs, especially if you see a page, if you look at the sidebar and you're like, whoa, okay, yeah. control F, where is the exact paragraph that I need on this page? I yeah. do not need to read all the rest of it. So that's why you'll find there's a lot of shortcuts that will perhaps bring you to a small section within a policy. Mm -hmm. So rather than having to read through the entire thing. So one that I was using recently was WP colon, not a guide. So, you know, people trying to add, say, like opening hours to a museum or, you know, really specific detailed information on like restaurants in a particular area of Dublin. Like Wikipedia is not a travel guide or, you know, an exhaustive directory of everything that exists in a particular area or particular place. So these are kind of ways that we, create little shortcuts that just bring you to that one little snippet of a page that is relevant to what we're talking about here. Uh-huh. Brevity is key. <laughs> so again, and that kind of the, the WP not a guide goes back to notable everything. It has to be a notable entry. Well, it also, it also goes back to what Wikipedia is not. So yeah. it's not a travel a guide, guide. It's not a manual. It's not a how to guide, yeah. you know, it's not a directory. And, um, and you know, say if we're talking about an area of Dublin, so like Ranala, if there's a really famous pub that has historical connections or a restaurant that was run by a very famous person, that's fine. But you're not going to list that there's a spa and there's this other pub and then there's a post office and there's a this and a that. You know, you're just, yeah. again, yeah, so it strays into notability, but also uh, that's not what people are reading. You know, if it didn't exist yeah. in Encyclopedia Britannica, why are you adding it to a different encyclopedia? That's basically yeah. the nuance there. Yeah. Gotcha. So use fewer words. Don't engage in instruction creep. Gotcha. Good uh, life advice, right there. We are now going to talk to Jake about how he went from Wikipedian to working at the Wikimedia Foundation and beyond.
1: Hi, I am Jake Orlowitz. I am a couple things in the Wikimedia movement. I'm the founder of the Wikipedia Library. Um, I co-founded the One the One Ref campaign with Alex Stenson. I am the uh, principal and lead consultant at Wiki Blueprint, which is a uh, consulting service that helps nonprofits work with Wikipedia in ways like Wiki, through a Wikipedia in Residence. Um, and I am the father of uh, my stepdaughter, who's twelve, and the uh, current joy slash maniac in my life, a two and a half year old. Um, Who's adorable and crazy. And I live in Santa Cruz, California, in the mountains of Santa Cruz, about 20 minutes away from the coast. And just today, the uh, tree trimmers were here taking down three trees that, if they fell, probably would have killed someone. So uh, I live in kind of a rural mountain zone. And um, when it's not catching on fire like it did two and a half years ago, it's trying to kill you in other ways. It's keeping you on your toes. I think by the sounds of it. <laughs> yeah. It, it it is. And the other thing is that I chop wood now to keep warm in the winter and I feel like being a Wikipedian is a badass hobby, but chopping wood is a little bit more like just burly. Yeah. 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 Like Wikipedia doesn't get you, Wikipedia doesn't get you calluses. <laughs> doesn't give you a bit of a workout. Um not, not that. It doesn't. It doesn't. Although, I, I mean, it sometimes an edit war gets my heartbeat going.
0: <laughs> well, on that note, I mean, it's it's safe to say, and you've already kind of introduced some of it, uh, that you're a celebrity within the Wikimedia movement. Um, but how and when did you actually get started uh, contributing to Wikipedia?
1: So I saw this question in the, the interview notes and I decided that I would allow it, provided that I could kind of the world of the notion that Wikipedia has celebrities. But then I really thought about it and I thought, oh no, it's vital for Wikipedia to have celebrities. So I just want to say something about this notion first, like the original Wikipedia celebrity was Jimmy Wales and he fed this kind of myth or mythos rather that there's some, uh, intelligent founder who set the course. And this is very much like what the Europeans imagined, uh, must have happened in human society that some benevolent um you know power just like gave the law i mean you even see it in the old testament like the the law was handed down from on high you know and like jimmy gave us the law or the wiki and then everything just kind of like benevolently evolved from there um so jimmy's like the original celebrity even though you know the policy was developed with a lot of people um and i i kind of came became Came a Celebrity Out of Necessity, um, and I'm, I'm saying celebrity very lightly, um, I'm taking it on as a, a functional title, as in someone the community knows they can go to for help. And I, I, say, I use the community broadly, also meeting other organizations. I think this is really critical for the movement. Um, there aren't a lot of people who are known, mm. um, a couple handfuls of them depending on your region, uh, who you could call up and say, I have a problem and I need help. Or I want to do something with the movement, or you know, everything else happens online, and it can be daunting to know how to enter a community where there are no there are lots of people, but there are no individual humans with names, with reputations, who you know you can trust, who you know are there for help. And that's always been something that I've pride myself on. Anyone can ask me any question anytime. I'm here to help in my business if you need a lot of help. You know i'll charge you for it but any my door is always open for anyone who needs help if you want to do a program together you know we'll have a contract but if we'll um if we're trying to explore what the best option for you is or do you need um an ethical paid editing agency like butler or do you need um the wikimedia foundation's trust and safety team evaluate something do you need just a long conversation or do you need some something programmatic like you need someone to manage a a large piece of work in your organization you know i want to guide people towards what they need i'm always kind of have viewed myself as that like friendly helping hand for wikipedia in whatever capacity i've served the movement and that's the role in which celebrity is, is, is actually vital because if people don't know you, they can't find you. If they don't know of you, they won't trust you and they won't come to you for help. So, um, so sure. I'm a celebrity. What the but how did I get started? Very, uh, uncelebratoriously. Um, I, I started editing, uh, from a Staples store, which is a American uh, office supply chain. And I, um, at the time was, uh, I won't say I was homeless because I I kind of chose to live in my car, but it was a very tumultuous time emotionally and I I could have uh, gone home to my parents, but at the time I just was really seeking isolation and solitude and avoiding people. So I was living in Colorado, which is a mountainous rural kind of region, and I was using this chain store, which had computers for sale. And I would go in and I would pick my favorite computer and I would edit for like seven hours a day, uh, basically as soon as they opened until they closed at night. And they didn't mind me because I was very friendly. And when people had questions about computers, I acted like a computer salesman. And I would help them and I would tell them about OpenOffice and I would tell them about the open source movement and you know how they didn't need to buy Windows necessarily. And you know I don't know if they like that part, but I, I would... Gear them towards the better machines that I thought were good value. And so I was, I was friendly and helpful. And some people thought I worked there, but the truth is, no, I just was editing Wikipedia and um, you know, so yeah, I was like squatting uh, in a, in a computer store editing Wikipedia. Uh, I didn't know what I was doing, but the seeds were being planted. You know, I was trying to edit what I now know as core articles, like clothing. And I was just making up stuff. Like, I think I, I, for like 10 years, the definition of what clothing is was mine. You know, and like I do not know anything about textiles or fashion, but like it was that kind of thing where I was like, oh, this is just a place where you can say anything intelligent, and it'll, you know, the world will come to it. So for me, that was like kind of an ego boost. But I also found out that the the there are rules or standards because I also tried to edit things for political purposes, like like you know, my own personal political agenda, like oh, I wonder what this article says about the war on drugs and is it a good thing or a bad thing? And let me add some arguments. And immediately an administrator came and was like, where are your sources for this, dude? And I was like, oh, I'll show you sources. And I came back with like 30 sources. I way oversourced it. And I was learning that there are things you can get away with and there are things that require sources. And there are some pages that are closely watched and some, some pages that are not. And Um, that there are these things called sources and they're essential for getting your argument to stick. So I was, I was learning in a way, you know, what, what goes, Um, you know, and and that became my hobby slash habit slash obsession slash addiction when I moved back home eventually with my parents. And I did that like kind of quintessential wikipedia thing of like editing from the basement but i was editing from the attic and i was mediating these disputes over new religious movements and cults or um, alternative medicine and i was uh, you know personally i was distraught i was unable to function which later led to me being hospitalized but for anxiety um, and related issues with my mood but up until the literally like the day before i went to the hospital i was editing wikipedia in fact i remember the art the last article i read it edited was about the death of osama bin laden um and then the next morning like i you know was picked up basically by the police to go to the mental hospital because it was like yeah you you're you're not taking care of yourself at all and like you're starting to get weird and just disappear for hours at a time and like no one knows where you are and like what you're doing or if you're okay and this is like our last chance to kind of like get a hold on you before you just vanish. So that was an interesting kind of confluence of mental health and Wikipedia. And I have a lot of thoughts about whether or not Wikipedia is good for mental health or if it was good for my mental health. But suffice to say, that's how I started editing. It was the only thing I could tolerate and the only thing that kept my interests.
0: It was an anchor for, for, for that period of time.
1: It really was. It was an intellectual anchor, and it gave me a sense of purpose.
0: Yeah, wow. And and we will. I'll mention this at the end of the interview as well. But of course, you've written a book about your experiences, and I I will highly recommend. And that will be a link that will be added to the show notes, uh, (laughs) both to your to your website and everything else. And in that, and in your you know your medium and other places that you've written about your experience, you've you've talked about how you made that conscious decision to make kind of Wikimedia your career. Like that's kind of one of the things that you had decided upon. So what was your, did you have a vision of what that would look like? Or, you know, did you know what that job or what you would end up doing within the Wikimedia movement at that point? Or did that kind of evolve over time?
1: I didn't know exactly what it would be like, but I had a hunch it would be um, getting picked out of the ether to work for the Wikimedia Foundation. Um, Because I had seen it happen. I had seen it happen to two people. It happened to Moonridden Girl. Also known as Maggie Dennis. She was a prolific copyright editor, and she did all kinds of copy bio detections and correct and fixing work. And then one day her title had changed, and she was Moonridden Girl WMF. And you went to her user page and it said, you know, like, I forget what the time what the title was at the time, but it was like head of reader relations. It was one of the very first attempts for the foundation to have a way to communicate directly to the community. Now there's actually dozens of these people who are Wikipedians paid by the foundation to liaise and, um, and smooth the gaps in understanding and also relay changes that are happening and have all kinds of consultations. But the first one who I ever knew of was, was Maggie Dennis. And um, I have respected her greatly. And then all of a sudden she's working for Philippe Beaudet, um, who I also knew was kind of a, organizing powerhouse for the movement. And then I saw the similar thing happen to Stephen Walling, who um, was kind of well known for giving the first TED talk about Wikipedia. And he was an early editor and then he ended up being a project manager for the foundation or a project or product manager. I'm not sure exactly which one, but I thought like, oh well something like that could happen to me. If you're a good editor, and it doesn't help if you're a white North American it doesn't hurt rather, if you're a white North American, you'll like get picked. And Um, so I tried to do things that were helpful and visible to the foundation. Like, um, I helped with fundraising campaigns in 2010, there was a banner competition. I tried to be visible in some of the bigger community debates, like about pending changes and whether or not that should be instituted, not in a partisan way, but in a facilitatory way. And so I tried to appear useful. Um, and, um, so I figured that would happen. And then when I started, um, Experimenting with some ideas, I got a better sense of what I might do. And it was more running programs than, um, than products. And the two programs that I started with in the movement were the Wikipedia Adventure, which is a, an onboarding tutorial that's kind of fun, uh, gamified onboarding, and the Wikipedia Library, which was a very, very small program that initiated um, kind of a combination of something that. Someone from Credo Reference, which is a encyclopedia for high schools, had come to the foundation and said, we want to give you some accounts. Philippe asked me to manage that. So I was like, oh, my God, Philippe wants me to do something. This is how you get into the foundation. And at the same time or similar time, I was uh, I actually, I think before that happened with Philippe, I had set up my own partnership with, there was an existing one also with JSTOR. And I had set up my own partnership with Highbeam which was a company who I called up and said, can I have a free account because I'm frustrated that I can't get access to all the sources I want? And they said, would you like a thousand accounts? And I said, hell yeah. And so it was clear that there was this convergence of needs and opportunities around sources for the movement. And so I kind of wanted to be of service to the movement in two different respects to new editors who had no idea how the community worked. I wanted to help them eat more easily and more like entertainingly become a Wikipedian. And then for experienced editors, I wanted to have them to be, as I called it at the time, armed to the teeth with reliable sources. Um so I, I, I always felt like that was the best currency for a Wikipedian, was just a good resource. If there was ever anything that could just absolutely crush and, and crush and end a debate, resolve a dispute, um, or you know, bolster someone's position, it would be source that backs up what they're saying so i figured you know we need this we need access to these sources and at the time i wasn't actually familiar with the open access movement so my initial thought was we need to get the access to the paywall publishers and that was my motivation for you know a good 10 years of running that program and uh you know i did um get grant funding. I went to Wikimedia in 2012 and I met Seiko Bouters who ran the grants program. I submitted my two grants, they got funded. Seco uh, became my wife in no particular order. And, um, you know, I stopped reporting to her directly because that would have been unethical, you know. Uh, yeah, and I, I ran those two programs, you know. Um, specifically, I ran the Wikimedia uh, Wikipedia Library um, and that expanded and now it has 100,000 journals, 80 publishers, it has a digital library platform, um, it's pretty fucking awesome and it's continues to be run at the foundation by folks like Sam Walton and uh, Nicole Askin and um, uh, the new partnerships coordinator Bippin who I have not met yet, but you know, it's amazing to see it continue without me. Um, I always wanted that, but it's really like heartening to go on to something new and see that the thing you poured your heart into uh, continues to grow. There's like nothing better than that that feeling it's like you know one of your children goes off into the world and graduates college and you know is independent and happy it's like i'm just you know i feel like i I vicariously get to enjoy the achievements that others are now advancing you know and it's like i don't take credit for them at this point but um you know it makes me very happy
0: well i think it's it's interesting when you say about you know you kind of weren't aware of the open access movement at that point and obviously those conversations have changed and and there's more awareness I suppose and and pushback especially from academics around paywalling and perhaps how funding is now allocated that there's kind of emphasis on open so in but we're probably not going to get to a point where everything is accessible everywhere to everyone so what do you think kind of the legacy of of the projects that you started, like um the wikipedia library are or or will be where do you see it going?
1: where do you hope it might go um well, I want it to be the best digital library in the world for Wikipedians exclusively. And that of course has to include paywalled sources and open access sources. And so, you know, the, um, sorry, You're right. the platform that we developed with, um, EBSCO discovery service and, uh, that, um, Jason Sherman, the library developer who worked on the, second major major phase of the wikipedia library and he's now at the foundation full-time um, it has kind of plugins or adaptability to use open access directories and tools like on paywall which look for open versions um, so i would say that it's no longer an either or situation with open access i mean there's no doubt that there are paywalled links more paywalled links on wikipedia more references that are good references that are that are paywalled on Wikipedia than there would have been uh, because of the Wikipedia library, uh, which was a, a, a bittersweet trade-off, and we got some flack for it for sure. But I think the um, the evolution where it's heading towards now is more the sources that are used are not available anywhere else, and they're high quality, and they're increasingly open, or you know, an open version is available of them, and just this week in the U.S., uh, President Biden announced that the Office of Technology and Policy, or Technology Policy U.S. OTP, um, would require green open access uh, from 2026 on. Uh, just that's as big in development as Plan S in the uh, European arena, and um, you know it's a sign that things are moving towards open access. So you know I don't know. Um, I think. We kind of talked or joked about like, well, if the world goes up in access, there won't be a need for the Wikipedia library, and I'm okay with that. Um, you know, you when whenever you're in an activism, and I viewed what I did as a kind of information activism. I mean, we were getting publishers to think about Wikipedia as a useful resource we were in, increasing Wikipedia's legitimacy and reputation and prestige by associating with these prestigious publishers. And then we were getting access to improve Wikipedia's quality. But in doing so, these publishers were giving something away to an open resource mm. and it wasn't open access at all, but it was towards open. It was more open than it was before. Um, and so anytime you're an activist, you have to be okay with making yourself um, not indispensable, but irrelevant. If you if you if you become indispensable as an activist you're actually it's a sign that there's something fundamentally wrong with your theory of change i'll say um whereas if the world changes and you're no longer relevant great move on to a new issue there's plenty of them you know uh and so i don't know if the wikipedia library will continue i mean open access shifts happen slowly and they you know not all publishers are in the u.s not all research is federally funded um there's a lot of publications that are still not open access um and then there's the backlog of publications going back, you know, 70, 80 years, which are not necessarily open access. So uh, you know, backlogs and things uh, are not open access necessarily. Um, books, you know, a lot of these questions about sources allied the topic of books, like a print book, for the most part, unless it's part of a new open access collection out of like MIT Press and open monographs, uh, for the most part, almost all books are closed access. And so there's like a long ways to go. Mm -hmm. So I've always felt like, you know, what, let's push as hard as possible on uh, access to all resources that are reliable. And uh, we'll slowly transition away from this program. But that could be 20 years, you know. And in the meantime, we're going to have a much better encyclopedia for it. And publishers are going to know what Wikipedia is. They're going to trust it. They're going to care to use it. And uh, the public is going to see that the world's best research is on Wikipedia and they're going to trust it, too. And all of this is good for the movement. So, you know, it's just it's a win. You know, it's not the only win. It's not the ultimate win, but it's a win. And I've learned as a pragmatist to take the wins where they are. There is
0: so much more to that interview. And when it goes up online, you're going to want to hear it. Um, Yeah, there's there's a lot there. And it's super interesting. Uh, But I have one key question for you uh, because it wasn't answered. And it was what he was talking about. But uh, what is the Wikipedia Library? So the Wikipedia Library is basically a way of giving active Wikipedians, and there is a threshold for getting this, basically a virtual library card to get access to like JSTOR and uh, you know lots of paywalled material, um, so lots of journal access, but also to some digital books, newspaper repositories, things like that. So I think it's about 500 edits, and you need to have an account for. I think probably six months or maybe a year and um you submit an application um uh, to receive access to the Wikipedia library because if you're a very active editor you know was trying to offset some of the issues around inequality of access so that you might not have a library close to you you might not have institutional access to good sources and that might kind of frustrate you or curtail your your editing work so this was a way of getting, good quality sources into the hands of editors that were already activated and really motivated to edit, especially in, you know, a specific kind of area, but even generalists. So that was the, uh, that was the good idea. And that was before, I think, you know, Jake mentions this, it was before kind of the open access question had become mainstream when it looked like none of the online publishers were ever going to, you know, crack the door on that. And definitely before, say, the likes of the US government or EU grants or something like that, started placing um, obligations on those who receive, say, research grants to then publish openly. So before Mm -hmm. any of that happened. So it was really like, how do we get these traditional sources into the hands of people who who usually would not have access to them so they can use them? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, gotcha. Uh, no, fascinating, very interesting life. And um, as I said, again, the interview goes on um, and it's uh, well worth a listen to. So would recommend that you get your Headstuff Plus access so you can get hold of those extended interviews at some point when I put them up there. And I will also say, we've I linked to it in the show notes, uh, Jake did write, write a book, a uh, little short book about um, his own life, but also editing Wikipedia and all the other things that he's done, uh, which you can download for free. Uh, but also, if you if you wish to pay for it, So there's a link to his website in the notes as well. And if you want to hear, as I said, the full interview and other full interviews with our guests, you can become a member of the Headstuff Plus community for just five euro a month plus VAT. And you can do that by going to headstuffpodcast.com. You don't just get our uh, podcasts and the extended interviews at some point when they eventually go up. Um, You also get all of the other uh, podcasts on the network and all of their extended bonus things for that five euro a month plus VAT, which is in these inflationary times, actually it's still a bargain. Less than, it's possibly the less of a cost of a pint at this point. Um, we, I had a pint the other day and it was £6.20, uh, 6 euro 20 uh, so yes. Yeah, and you're yes. supporting podcasters and uh, a little Irish podcast studio as well, to boot. I feel like, are, uh things are getting a little bit repetitive i keep trying to spice things up by trying to find a different <laughs> way hard. of asking these yeah. questions but uh who's this episode's hero <laughs> just say it really really fast really... Like, <laughs> eventually it'll just be one little noise but... it's like <laughs> um in clan Mel, where i lived a chunk of my life there was a, the way of saying hello to somebody was like well if you know what I mean, well but it it, it became down to, and I'm sorry, this is more of a visual thing than a, than a spoken thing listeners, but it came down to yeah, Was head it? nod, head nod. So. Well, as I like, <laughs> carry people with Haru, 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 haru. haru. how yeah. are you compressed nicely? <laughs> episodes hero. <laughs> episodes hero. This episode's hero is a correction. <laughs> okay. So it's not a hero. Well, it is kind of a hero because it's an expansion, let us say. Because um, okay. when you said, you know, the way you're saying things are getting repetitive, I thought you were like, the way we're putting these sections together is kind of repetitive. Put your socks up, Rebecca. Like, Stop talking about the same stuff. <laughs> so, th- <laughs> so this is a, a correction to some of my misinformed opinions uh, from last week. You made a mistake is what you're saying. I Not quite a mistake. Uh, a misinterpretation, let's say. I, I, it showed my ignorance about Swedish Wikipedia. Let's put it that way. <laughs> okay. um, but a friend of the podcast, Jan Anali, pointed out to me that I was probably a little bit unfair with my characteri- characterization of bot-written articles on Swedish Wikipedia, and that many now have a similar length and depth to the articles that we discussed last, last episode about Tamil Wikipedia. So this is a fair correction to think. Very much so. Very much so. and. But that said, there were a large portion of lower quality stubs created up until late twenty seventeen, um like the ones that I encountered about Irish places that I was discussing, which hmm. have actually since been deleted from swedish wikipedia the The community decided that actually it was best just to delete these these articles, so over one point two million stubs were deleted um in that decision,, oh, so very similar to what happened with the Scots language Wikipedia, yeah, yeah. Just because something exists on Wikipedia doesn't mean that the community has to live with it, basically. Yeah. They can make the decision to go, okay, this served a function up to a certain point, and now we're going to undo a portion of it. Mm. Um, it did mean that Swedish Wikipedia grew quite exponentially, quite quickly. And then there was a pause put on it in in 2017, But and then this deletion. But it's all, it started to organically grow again. Oh, very now. good. Um, I'm wondering if there's a way for Wikipedias like Wikipedia to use these bots to help with creating pages then. Who saying so we did Swedish Wikipedia did this back in twenty seventeen or so uh, earlier than that it started and and the process ended then. And to be honest, machine translation for smaller languages like Irish was just not up to the job. Mm-hmm. um even you know Google Translate. We could sniff it out fairly quickly. They are getting better, but as I said, a seasoned Irish reader and writer would probably spot a machine machine translated or generated article a mile off. and but there is the optics of a genuine Irish reader writer. Coel coming to Wikipedia and seeing something that's kind of plainly machine translated mm-hmm. and kind of the, the impression that that would give to somebody who might have thought about engaging with the project was something that the community had kind of decided against. Okay, But that said, machine translation for Irish has improved in no small way to kind of because of EU funding and other projects around it. And what's interesting is Welsh Wikipedia have been experimenting with using wiki data to generate articles on subjects such as animals. So those articles that follow, you know, kind of a, a particular pattern, a bit like those place, those places that we were talking about, animals, mm-hmm. articles about animals follow a particular pattern as well. So how do you use Wikidata where uh, if information changes, so if we're talking about say tigers and the number of known individuals is updated on Wikidata, then a Welsh Wikipedian doesn't have to update it on Welsh, it'll automatically draw that number from Wikidata. So it's kind of taking that automation a little step forward. Okay. Um and there are definitely people on wikipedia page that are interested so you know using say for the population of a town so it it lowers the barrier of of maintenance of articles mm-hmm. of needing somebody to to make those probably quite mundane updates um, and that it automates it but there's a lot of experimentation needed and well sure are on the forefront of that definitely but critically the community has to want it and approve of it but all all good and thanks yeah we do appreciate our listeners and former interviewees uh, ma- keeping us honest. Keeping us on our toes, definitely. And that was The World According to Wikipedia. Join us again in two weeks. You can subscribe to us on your podcast player of choice. Follow us on Twitter at world underscore Wikipedia. Thanks to Patricia O'Flaherty for our artwork and head stuff for production assistance go to headstuffpodcast.com for show notes, more information and to support the Headstuff Plus network. You can find me on the interwebs at Ickle underscore Tato or at tato. Anywhere where there's like a combination of Ickle and Tato is generally me. You'll find me on Twitter at Restless Curator or on Instagram as Rebecca Knee I'm actually getting good at these old intros now. In this episode, we talk to Jake Orlowitz. I'm gonna say that again. In this episode, we in this episode we talk to Jake Orlowitz, the founder of Wikipedia. Oh, I screwed myself off on that one. This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member. At headstuffpodcasts.com.